know, week to week, his promises aren't changing based off our attitudes or our mindsets or our feeble mentalities. Um, his promises are yes and amen, and they, the word of the Lord will last forever. And I just, I'm thankful for that. So every time I get to preach, I'm thankful that uh, though my sermons from week to week may change on text, they may be a little more energetic one week or a little less the next. They're all rooted in the promise of the Lord that even me, as much as anyone else, is in need of that saving grace that Jesus embodied and carried upon. So at this time, I want to ask anybody that is leaving uh, to please make your way out as quickly and quietly as you can. The rest of you turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Five, and I mean all of Mark chapter five. We're going to read the entire chapter. Is that all right? Is it is that all right? Here's one thing. If you so one thing I'm going to try to encourage Brian to do from now on is have you all and myself included stand and sit every song because you say, "Well, I ain't working out." We're going to make you work out in the middle of in the music, right? We're going to we're going to get you moving. We're going to get your heart rate pumping. Uh, but if you do nothing else, you say, well, I don't have time to read a Bible chapter a day. Well, guess what? We're doing a chapter today, and it may be the only chapter you read the rest of the week. I hope it's not, but we're reading the entire chapter, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it quickly. I'm going to say a few words on three different realms of existence that Jesus demonstrates his authority over. See, at the beginning of this year, I wanted us to really get to know the Jesus that we see in the Bible, not the Jesus that the world tells us we should believe in, not the Jesus that we want to, you know, image or or to imagine that fits our mold or our understanding or or our hopes. I want us to know the real Jesus. So we began this conversation with Jesus wasn't just this, well, everybody go do whatever you want. I love everybody and just just live and try hard and be kind and love. And, And he wasn't all that peaceful at times. There are moments where he he rebukes his own fo- uh, closest follower, Peter, when he says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, he Jesus at times was one that uh, expressed his anger in a, in a righteous way with the people of the in the temple. And, and, and Jesus was not just one that told people, just do what you can, do the best you can, love your neighbor, and everything will work out. Jesus was fully man, as he walked this earth. And maybe the hardest thing for us to really understand is how Jesus can be 100% man and, and, and full of humanity and at the exact same time be 100% God. So we can't just focus on the humanity of Jesus and the great teaching that he had and the way that he could draw a crowd and, and really, you know, was he a, a loving God? Yeah, we can look at that, but we cannot neglect or ignore the deity of who Jesus was. Jesus was one of great power and authority. 
Jesus didn't just walk around and, and passively tell people, hey, I love you, uh, praying for you. No, no, no. Jesus was one that would raise people from the dead. Jesus was one that gave sight to blind people. Jesus was one that healed people of their ailments. Jesus was one that gave hope to people who were hopeless. Jesus is one that restored the souls of lost people. Jesus is the one and the only one that is able to take dirty, wretched souls like you and me and, and pathetic people in our own sin and call, call us his children. He's the only way that we can ever see this come about. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read chapter 5. We're going to go through it quickly, but, but pay attention. We're gonna, there's so much to pull out of it, but I want to focus on the three realms that Jesus demonstrates his authority over. And whenever we understand this, we'll come to understand a little bit more of who Jesus was. Jesus was the embodiment of God the Father here on this earth because God the Father wasn't walking around. It was the Son. And Jesus would then eventually rise back to his home. And then the Spirit would come to empower us. So let's go Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with unclean spirit, with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So I I want you to picture that. No one had the strength to subdue this man. Night and day among the tombs on the mountain, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. We're talking about one that that no human hands could subdue and, and that he would overpower everyone. He would overpower and break the chains. But when he saw Jesus, Jesus wasn't just this loving, peaceful guy, though he was loving and he did bring peace to those who loved him. Jesus was mighty in power and authority. So when this man who was possessed by by demons, by unclean spirits, he ran and he saw Jesus and he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, I want you to take note, this is very important, uh, a little bit of give us the context of maybe why Jesus asked this question, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowning in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and the country. And people came to see what was what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But he did not permit him, but said to him, Go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled, marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side 
a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Here's another instance where they fall at his feet and implored him here, here earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and alive. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came about came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. Here's the third instance of someone falling down before him at his feet and fell down before him as she was trembling. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, remember Jairus, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. And he said, Talitha kume, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So that's a whole lot of scripture. I mean, that's just 43 verses that we just read. Uh, probably the most I've ever read at one particular time from here, but, but it's important because it gives us a context. We see some similarities in this particular text. We see three people who are affected or changed by Jesus, right? But we see that before these changes come, these three people, uh, they all at one point or another, now on the behalf of the girl, it's her father come to jesus and they come and they bow before him which is a great sign of authority of one of power one of respect and honor um, as he was the great teacher in his region in his day so here's what i want us to do i want us to look at the spiritual realm the physical realm and the eternal life and death This is what Jesus demonstrates in this particular chapter of Mark. As we just read those 43 verses, we see Jesus demonstrate his authority in the spiritual realm, the physical realm, and when it comes to life and death. Well, something else that we notice about these three particular people are that in each instance, these people have exhausted all of their resources 
attempting to be healed or be restored or to be bound by people. To be, you know, the woman with the issue of blood goes to all of these physicians. She spends all of her money and she's still suffering and she's getting worse. And the disease is growing in a very bad way. She's not progressing any or recovering at all. She's actually getting worse. She had spent all of her money. The, the man who could not be bound, all of these people tried to do it themselves, but they could not overpower him. He was too strong and he was too overcome by, by demons and, and evil. And Jairus' daughter, who is dead, is surrounded by people. And I would imagine being a leader and having power and, and name, he would have attempted to do everything that he could with all of the resources that he had to bring back to life his daughter. I mean, as a father, would you not? I mean, we would do everything we could to bring life to our children. But Jesus, being Jesus, demonstrates great authority first in the spiritual realm when we see Jesus cast out this demon. And whenever we read these three, one thing we have to understand is that we can learn from this chapter that there are going to be things that you and I face, circumstances that come our way, or seasons of life that we have to walk through, that there is no other person and no other thing that can lead us. No other person, no other thing that can save us. There are going to be times where you and I have trials or we go through different circumstances, we try to navigate different seasons of life where there is no book on Amazon that's going to help you be made whole. There is no doctor that can truly heal. There are going to be times where there are relationships to be restored, there is hope to be given, there is depression to be canceled, or or there is healing to be provided, and it is only going to come by the Lord. There are going to be times where you and I can rely on no other person as the woman with the issue of blood tried every physician she knew. But Jesus, being Jesus, heals. So there may be an instance for us. There is a spiritual battle that this man is facing as these demons are possessing him. And there is a spiritual warfare that this man is in the midst of. And that's the first realm I want to discuss, is the spiritual realm that Jesus possesses authority over. You know, the question that he asked this man was this, what is your name? And then the man replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. So to understand what that really means in the context of this particular scene is that a legion could range anywhere between 6,000 to 13,000 troops in the uh, Roman army. So their soldiers, if they were a legion of soldiers, they would range from like 6,000 to almost 13,000 in number. Well, what difference does that make? What, what significance is that? That demonstrates the authority of one Jesus and almost could be 13,000 unclean demons, evil spirit. Jesus asked, what is your name? And he replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. And what's so funny is whenever you read this, they ask in response to that, and they begged, and they begged earnestly not to send them out of the country. But they saw a great pig herd, if you may. And they, they say, just send us out there. I mean, anything but, and they're asking Jesus, please don't come to torment us. They are aware, they're fully aware of the power that Jesus possessed and the sentence that he could have given or the punishment that he could have cast. So we see in this particular text that Satan will never win in the end. Right? 
Satan will never win in the end. And, and the beautiful thing is that we know people that may be overpowered now, and they may be gripped by sin now, but if they fall at the feet of Jesus spiritually, if they bow before Him and they confess Him, if they follow Him, if, you know, if we're, t- we're talking about people that have been washed in His blood, they've been baptized in His name, they've been raised to life by His Spirit, we're talking about people that, war- that walk with the Lord, that serve the Lord. Those people may have been gripped by Satan at one point, but when Jesus steps onto the scene in those people's lives, Satan has no more authority. He has no more power over me. I am free and free indeed. If you are here and you are a Christian and you are saved by the amazing grace of our God, you need to be thankful that you are free and that Satan may try to tempt you. He may try to destroy your marriage. He may come at you. But if the hand of Jesus is wrapped around me, Satan has no business and no authority to come and to take me out of his hand. So Jesus demonstrates his authority by casting these thousands of unclean spirits out into pigs. And it's so fitting. I was reading a commentary, I think, by Matthew Henry this week, that how fitting it was for these unclean spirits to go into pigs, which are oftentimes the most nasty of animals, and to just watch them one after one fall off the cliff. Now, to the, to the owner of those pigs, that was a lot of money gone. You know, there's their livelihood just, well, thanks, Jesus, but well, what now? You know, are you going to replenish that? Are you going to say, but how fitting it was for these unclean spirits, just as the devil is so nasty and slimy and sick that he is, goes into the pigs as he's cast out of these, or as these unclean evil demons are cast out of this man. So Jesus possesses power and authority over the spiritual realm. And here's what I want you to understand. There are people that are going through things. There are people that are living in sin. And it's not just a physical battle that they face. It's a spiritual war that Paul writes to us and warns us about when he says we do not just fight flesh and bone. You know, if it was, hey, just change this behavior here and modify your habits here, everything will work out. There is a heart and life soul transformation that must take place by the name and the power of Jesus for people to truly be transformed. I always say Jesus did not come for a little behavior modification. He came for a soul and life complete transformation. And that is what we see in this particular man. He was truly set free from the grip of Satan that he had. So Jesus possesses the authority over the spiritual realm. So if you ever feel like you're being spiritually attacked or you feel like Satan's trying to weave his way into your home or he's trying to attack your kids, because let's just face it, I'm just going to tell you, Satan gets no greater joy than to try to divide you and your spouse and grip hold of your kids and try to indoctrinate them in the ways that he wants them to go. Because if he can make our kids illiterate and ignorant to the word of God, he will have his hand over all of our children. They'll raise up to be ignorant little people that will become ignorant adults do not know the word of God, don't know how to preach the word of God, don't know how to repent of their sin, and they will be people that will just lead us, live astray from the word of God, from the glory of God, and none of our children, none of our grandchildren will know the grace and the mercy of God. That's what Satan wants. He wants to get a grip of your kids right when they're young so that he can hold them the rest of their lives. He's wanting to get you and your spouse fighting with one another, not paying attention in church, not focused on, well, why do we even go to worship? Why, do we, why should we participate in Bible study? Why should we serve? And he wants to just rip us all apart and take down the fabric of the home or fabric of the, of the ordained way of life that God wants. And God wants us to train up our children and to be 
watchmen for our children to be prepared to fight this with our children spiritually, our grandchildren spiritually. Because if we don't, then we might see that just as this man was possessed and gripped by the evil one, so will many generations to come. So it's your responsibility, it's my responsibility to participate in the spiritual warfare that Paul writes about. But the greatest news is that by Jesus, you and I may be victorious. That you and I, who may be struggling now, or we may, be, we may feel as if we're under a spiritual attack, or the devil is trying to come after our home, those of us who are of the Lord will be victorious. Our children will be victorious. The next generation will be victorious. The next one is the physical realm that Jesus possesses authority over whenever this woman comes up to him with the issue of blood. And for 12 years now, she's been struggling with this issue of blood. And here she is. She comes and she believes. She has a faith that says, if I can just wiggle through the crowd... If I can just get out there, then I will be made whole. It was her faith that compelled her to fight against the crowd and to get into the proximity of Jesus. She had to get close to Jesus because she knew that if, if I can just get to him, I will be healed. I will be made new. I believe that he is capable. So here's where, uh, let's just kind of talk about something in this. Who here, just raise your hand if you believe Jesus can heal you when you're sick. Who here uh, has experienced the healing hand of the Lord? Maybe from cancer or, or numerous things. Um, now, here's where we have to, have to be very careful. Here's what I want you to know. The Lord is capable of healing you of everything. He is capable of hearing your cry, seeing your pain, and healing you. But it does not mean that he is obligated to do so. There are going to be times where you and I sit back and we wonder, well, why did God heal them and not me? And here's what I want to give you a warning. If you, and I've exhausted myself doing this. If you ever try to answer that question, you will be, you will drive yourself crazy. If you try to answer the question of why God, you will drive yourself crazy. You will try to understand who God is and why God acts the way He does and why He performs the miracles for those. So, so never, and I'm not telling you, you you won't find yourself, but there are going to be times where you are going to look at other people and ask, well, why were they healed and I wasn't? Why was their marriage restored and mine wasn't? Why was uh, my child still sick? Or why is my family this? Why, 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 why? So here's what I want you to know. And we have to understand this. We have to believe. This is why Jesus demonstrates his authority so that we can see it and we can read about it here and we can believe in it. So not only do we have assistance in Christ when we fight spiritual wars with the enemy, but we also find that Jesus is participating in, he's interested in, involved in, in the spiritual realm, the physical well-being of our, of our bodies or the re restoration of our physical relationships or the provision of our physical finances or of our job. I mean, he's involved in the earthly physical realm and he has the authority and the power to change the circumstances of those. So let me just ask you, do you truly believe that Jesus can heal you? Do you truly believe that Jesus can provide for your family that next paycheck or that new job that you need or that restoration of relationship? We have to understand that if, if 
Jesus possesses the authority, we must have the faith that he can do it. That he can change the circumstances that you may find yourself in. Maybe not now. And here's the thing. I pray that none of us ever have to live in these realms of of serious spiritual warfare or serious physical things. But here's the thing. If you live just a little while, you will. You will. Because if you've ever lived a little while, you will find yourself in certain seasons feeling like you are being spiritually attacked, that the enemy is trying to break up your home, and that you will find yourself maybe ill, maybe having relationship, physical relationship issues, maybe concern about your job or the well-being of your family. I mean, if you live a little while, you will find these particular realms evident in your life. But just know and trust in the Lord that he possesses the authority over it all. So Jesus heals this woman with this issue of blood. And the the craziest thing to me is to read that the physicians couldn't help her. She spent all of her money. She went to appointment after appointment. You know, she saw the specialist after specialist, and they could do nothing. But Jesus doesn't even notice her at first. Just the power he possessed and the faith that compelled her to that point, she walks away healed. See, she was not healed by her faith. She was healed by him. But her faith is what compelled her. So here's what I want you to do. If you find yourself physically hurting, physically sick, or physical or issues in the physical realm of your life, of your family, I want you to leave at the feet of the Lord. I want you to believe that Jesus is truly capable of providing, that he is truly capable of restoring, and that he is truly capable of healing. And you and I must possess the faith that he is able to do it until he does it. But even if he doesn't do that one particular specific request, we will still possess the faith that he is still good. He is still our Lord. So Jesus possesses the authority over the spiritual realm. He possesses authority over the physical realm. So this gives us an understanding that he will assist me and empower me and fight with me when the devil comes to me. He will fight with me whenever the demons try to, to, to enter, when the devil tries to wiggle his way in, the nasty, slimy pig that he is in my home. And, and that Jesus can, is capable, fully capable of healing me when we're sick or when, you know, who here? I, I have known people that have went and the doctor said, hey, in six months we're going to have to consider something else. And six months later it was completely gone. I mean, we all know people that have gone and the doctors were expecting things to grow over the next few weeks or months. And guess what? Things disappear by the name of Jesus. I mean, we all know people that were truly preparing for, maybe even on the last leg of things going completely south, who were then able to walk again, sing again, talk again, preach again, or or just be alive again. We all know people. So he is more than capable and he, we must understand that he is more than capable, but he's, just because we have the faith that he is capable, does that mean that he's obligated to do what we ask of him? And lastly, Jesus possesses the authority over life. When we read about this little girl who is 12 years old, she had died, but Jesus says, no, 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 she's coming back. She's actually just asleep. And I wish we could see how this scene transpired because the people laugh at Jesus. I don't know what he said under his breath. I I don't know. But all we know next is they they were all kicked out. 
All these people, they were kicked out. It probably wasn't a very pleasant interaction of, oh, that's okay, guys, just kind of make your way outside. I, I would imagine this got a little tense as the people are laughing at him, and he's saying, no, 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 guys, she's actually just asleep. And they're saying, no, 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 she's dead. They begin to laugh him, laugh at him, mock him. And here's what they probably began to ask. What are you doing here now? I mean, she was dead hours ago. Why are you here now? It reminds me of Martha and Mary. Remember Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus? And they sent word, hey, your friend is ill. He's dying. Can you please come? And when did, do you remember what day it was that Jesus came? It was the fourth day. That's very significant because in Jewish tradition, they believe that the soul of people would remain in the tomb for three days. So if Jesus came on day one or day two or day three of Lazarus being dead and he were to be cast or he were to be raised to life and they were to, he was to command Lazarus to walk out, the people would say, well, it wasn't really Jesus because his spirit was in the tomb for three days. So why did Jesus show up on the fourth day? Because on the fourth day, that argument is irrelevant and it's gone. Now it is truly by the grace of God and by the power of Jesus and his word that he raised Lazarus to life. So I know this was an earthly resurrection of Lazarus. And he did that. And he told Martha and Mary, what did he say? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am, I am the one that possesses life. I am the only way that people can truly be resurrected. This was a picture of what he was going to do with himself as he was buried. And then on the third day, he would rise. But this is also a picture of what he's going to do for us, that he will bring us to life for all of eternity, that though we may die and and we may be buried in the grave one day, our bodies will be buried down. This is a, this is a visual of a spiritual resurrection that Christ will do for all of those that are, that are in him, all of those that abide in him. We may die earthly, we may be buried down, but our souls will sing of his glory forever and ever. So Jesus performs this resurrection. Jesus brings this girl to life. And this gives a a little prelude, if you may, into what he's going to do with his friend Lazarus. And maybe maybe this is why we have a hard time seeing Jesus as truly man and God. Because let's just face it. I mean, if someone claimed to be God, would you expect him to be hungry and to be tired or to show emotion? I mean, sometimes people may struggle with seeing Jesus as completely God whenever he's sleeping in the boat because he's tired. Because he's tired. It may be hard for some people to see Jesus being truly 100% of deity and 100% God at the same time he's eating because he's hungry. It may be hard for people to truly understand the authority and the power that Jesus possessed because, you know, he is God. Therefore, he should not be weeping beside the tomb of his, of his good friend. He shouldn't be upset. He's, he's God. But, but Jesus possessed the authority that the Father possessed. He said numerous times, the Father and I are what? We are one. Therefore, whatever the Father can do, I can do. And if the Father wants to raise people to death from death, I will raise them. If the Father wants to cast out these things, I can cast because He and I are one. So Jesus possessed all of the authority that the Father in heaven possessed while Jesus is gone, while before He ever left, and what He will possess for all of eternity. So when this particular girl is raised to life, it's very important because Jesus is the one that has the authority to grant people eternal life for the rest of eternity or to sentence them, condemn them to eternal death. Jesus is the one. 
So what that means is, so we get assistance and empowerment in our spiritual warfare because Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm of this, of this life. He has the spiritual realm under his authority. And we also know that we can be healed in and we can have the faith in our physical realm that Jesus is capable of doing the things that, you know, the physicians can't do, the help books can't do, Dr. Phil can't do, and unfortunately even Oprah can't do. There are things that those particular people and those particular resources cannot do for us what Jesus can do. But ultimately, the greatest thing to end on is this. Jesus possesses the authority over life and death. He is the one that will say to men and women like you and I, job well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I did not know you. That is what he has the authority to do. So here's why that's really important to end on. Because I don't... And don't take this the wrong way. I don't care how much money you give. I don't care how many hours you spend serving. I don't care how many times you you may serve communion or you may help it share what you wear. I mean, all those things are great, and I hope you keep doing it. I don't care how many weeks in a row you attend church, even though that's important for you and your spiritual well-being. That's great. But none of these things will ever grant you eternal life. Only the name of Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, what did Jesus say in Matthew 7 to those people who said, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these mighty things in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we raise the sick? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we, didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? Church, here's the thing. We can do a lot of great things on this earth. We can do a lot of great things, but you and I will never save a soul. You and I will never grant anyone the permission or the entry fee to heaven. We can only point people to the one that possesses the authority to eternally grant them life or to eternally condemn them to hell. That is what we can do. So you and I must be careful not to think of ourselves too highly as to where we are, what we can do, or what we can earn, or how we can accomplish this. We must surrender ourselves and find ourselves just like every single instance in Mark chapter 5. At His feet. At His feet. Weeping and worshiping in His presence. Thankful for this for the promise that he has in the physical realm and the spiritual realm and the eternal realm. So that you and I, one day, as we find ourselves at his feet spiritually, will one day be raised to life for eternity and we will be able to stand beside him and face him face to face. And he will grant us permission. He will grant us access to all of eternity with him. But there is nothing you and I can do to ever earn that. We must be washed in His blood. We must be baptized in His name. We must be empowered by His Spirit. We must be serving and worshiping and honoring and glorifying Him. There is nothing I can do. I don't care if I preach until my face is blue. I don't care if our worship team sings until their lungs are shot and, and, and their voices are gone. I don't care if we give until our pockets are empty. I don't care if we serve until all of the people in Washington County have clothes or shoes or food. All of that is great stuff, but all of, none of that will ever grant us eternal life. Jesus is the one and only one that possesses the authority to give us life or to sentence us to death. So, here's what I want us to do to end this. 
as in each scenario in this chapter, Jesus finds people at his feet. Jesus is always walking maybe on eggshells because he didn't know whose fingers he may step on, whose, whose face he may step on. You know, at times as they're all bowing at his feet. So here's what I want us to do as we end this service. I want us to just kind of find ourselves spiritually just at his feet. And just bowing ourselves, humbling ourselves, because that is a sign of humble adoration, honor, respect, and authority. Maybe today you came in and there are some things going on spiritually that you need to lay at His feet and ask for Him to intervene. Ask for Him to empower you. Ask for Him to redeem you or to restore you. Maybe there are some things going on in the physical realm. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's... Friends, I, I don't know what it is. It could be one of many various things going on physically. Here's what I want you to do. Just lay that at his feet and give it over to him and have the faith that he, though he may not answer every prayer, he is more than capable of doing all things. And ultimately, if you are spiritually dead, may you find yourself at his feet Believing and seeking the eternal life that he and only he can provide. Because Jesus wasn't just a Jesus of complete acceptance of all people and everybody love everybody. Jesus was one of power and authority. May we truly find ourselves today bowing and humbling ourselves at his feet. And giving to him what maybe we are holding on to, things that we are struggling with, things that we have been battling, may we just lay it at his feet and see what the Lord is capable of doing. Let us pray.